We've got a special interview for you today on the Inside Sports Nutrition Podcast, your source for all things sports nutrition related. In this episode number 56, we huddle with Dee Dee Griesbauer. Dee Dee is a former Wall Street vice president and now 18-year veteran professional triathlete. She has many wins and accomplishments under her belt, but to give you a feel, she's a three-time Ironman champion two-time 70.3 champion. She's been in the top 10 at the Ironman World Championships three times. She also holds the course record for the 12-hour time trial world championship, and she's the Ultraman world champion, holding some world records there as well. Her list of accomplishments, like I said, is quite long, but you'll want to tune into this episode to hear more about her background, which at the age of three, she began swimming and how she moved eventually from collegiate swimming into the world of Ironman racing and took on the sport of Ultraman. She is still going strong at the age of 52, and we get to hear more about her fueling strategies, her training and recovery strategies, and how she's keeping herself healthy, fit, and the strongest ever. So tune in to this episode. We are so glad that you're here with us. Thank you. And now enjoy the show. Welcome to the Inside Sports Nutrition Podcast. My name is Bob Sibahar here with Dina Griffin, my partner in podcasting. Today, I'm a little nervous. I'm just going to say that, Dina, only because I'm feeling it too. Yeah, rapid heart rate. I'm sweating a little bit and fangirling. Fangirling. We've passed our (laughs) one year episode. Um, You know, we're into year two. We've got probably one of the most decorated female endurance athletes ever. And I don't, I mean, that's a big statement, don't you think? But we'd like to welcome Didi Griesbauer. Unbelievably, uh, you are on our podcast. You said yes to our invite. We are so honored to have you here. Good morning, Didi. How are you? I am fine, thank you. But I can think of about, I don't know, 500 female triathletes that are more decorated than I am without even trying too hard, but I you're mean, very kind. Thank you very I much. I mean, <laughs> you know, and I read, I read, I, you know, like we've known each other for a little while and I've obviously as a triathlon coach too, I've followed your career since, since the get-go, since I was in tri, but, and I know Karen Smyers was your co- first coach and like ar- arguably she is one of the the icons in the sport also, but I don't know. I mean, just I got, I got a little tired just reading your long <laughs> list of accolades, like literally so in just long. what, you know, we'll, we'll get into Ultraman, which, which, you know, is kind of a, a big piece of our discussion here today in a little bit, but one, welcome Two, we would love for you to kind of just pave the way for our listeners because, and it's not all about sport. Like I want to kind of give the listeners an idea of where, where was Didi? Like from a career standpoint, schooling, what did you study? What did you do before you became this uber successful, popular professional triathlete? So take it, take us back a few years, Didi. Well, let's go back. I have to go back more than a few. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I grew up as a swimmer um, it, as a younger kid, uh, mostly because I lacked the coordination to do other sports. Oh. Um, my parents were, um, sort of ball athletes. Uh, my mom played basketball. My dad played soccer. They both played tennis. <laughs> they were big into sort of the sticks and ball sports, but I was simply not coordinated enough. Um, 
And uh, it seemed every time I went out onto a playing field, I would either sort of hyperextend a knee or twist an ankle. And so they thought the softness of water was a safe place for their gangly child. Uh, and I took to it. I loved the water. I've loved the water. I was one of those kids that came home uh, in the summertime, my eyes literally bleeding from the chlorine uh, oh. from being in the pool all day. I was just a little water rat. And um, so, yeah, I started swimming up until uh, my coach decided that maybe it was time to start double workouts. And my parents thought 5 a.m. was ungodly. And so they sent me yes. to boarding school. <laughs> oh. oh, wow. <laughs> That was an easy solution to that problem. Right, right. <laughs> um, so I went to boarding school in Connecticut. I went to Choate Rosemary Hall, which wasn't necessarily a swimming school, but it was a place I could combine my swimming with my school. The school that I was at uh, didn't have a swim team, so I was sort of separated um, and doing an awful lot of running around from swim practice to circles of friends from school to school projects, et cetera. So boarding school sort of brought it all in under one roof and I went under protest because I was very happy where I was in school, loved my friends, loved my school and convinced my parents that they were packing me up and shipping me off against my will and uh, <laughs> didn't admit to actually loving Choate until I was about 34. Um, oh but yeah, I loved Choate from about 10 minutes being on campus, just had a great circle of friends, loved my swim coach at Choate and it was just a great community. And I think it made my decision for college a lot easier because I was already sort of away from home. And so I didn't bat an eye at the thought of going 3000 miles away to, to Stanford University. Um, when I got into Stanford, I was shocked. Um, I wasn't that caliber of swimmer, uh, but somehow I got in and walked on to the swim team there and, and felt somewhat overwhelmed that I was a very small fish in a very large pond mm -hmm. there. Uh, but I think developmentally, I got to Stanford having not swum doubles, having not lifted weights, uh, really kind of raw. And it made the first couple of months there really, really tough to be thrown into double workouts, the academic load, um, the dry land, the, the weight room, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but the net result was I really did thrive and continued to improve in college, which at that point, a lot of girls, women, we're starting to sort of plateau in those college yeah. years when we're struggling to get better. But I just by leaps and bounds kept getting better to the point where my senior year in college, I was swimming best times and still madly in love with the sport. Wow. And so when I graduated at the time, uh, sort of your swimming career was over when you graduated from college, there was no post-collegiate swimming. And I thought, well, just because I'm done with college, why do I have to be done with swimming? So I actually continued to swim for two years after graduation. I didn't make the 92 Olympic team, which was my senior year, uh, but still, again, swimming best times and I wasn't far off. And so I I kind of had that dream and, and wanted to keep going and kind of forged my own path. I felt funny yeah. staying at Stanford because it wasn't my team anymore. I had been the mm. captain my senior year. And so I felt like I was sort of, I felt guilty for wanting to keep swimming, but because it was so unusual. Um, so I had left Stanford and actually went, the assistant coach when I was at Stanford had accepted the job as the men's head coach at Harvard. Okay. So yeah, it was tough. I went and swam with the Harvard men. Oh, you did? So you went back across the country. <laughs> went back across, back to the East Coast, actually lived with my coach and his fiance at the time. and. Okay. Um, lived with them and trained with the Harvard men. I took on a part-time job to, to make a little bit of an income. I got a job at a mutual fund company doing some accounting work. Um, and so I felt like I was sort of 
juggling a lot, but continuing my swimming passion. But come 1994, I didn't make the world championship team. And I did start to feel like I was falling behind my peers, mm -hmm. professionally speaking, and thought maybe this Olympic dream wasn't going to happen. So I retired from swimming um, and went to graduate school, got my MBA at the Wharton mm -hmm. School at the University of Pennsylvania and took a job on Wall Street. Uh, yeah. Did you, so, did you study finance or accounting in your undergrad at Stanford or? Uh, I, I, I hedged, I kind of knew that grad school would be in my future, but I wasn't okay. sure if I wanted law school or business school. So I studied public policy, which was a hybrid oh. program at Stanford between political science and economics. So it was oh, okay. a funded program. Um, and, and so I took both political science classes and economics classes. I hedged. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So then, so how long did your MBA take? Is that, was it the traditional two years? It was or? a two year. Yep. It was a two year okay. program. Um, and yeah, I took a job on Wall Street. I worked for Lehman Brothers as an equity mm -hmm. trader. I loved the trading desk. I think it brought oh. out sort of the, my competitive spirit. Yeah. A lot of my MBA classmates sort of made fun of me. They're like, you just spent two years getting an MBA just to be a, an equity trader. They're like, why? <laughs> and it, by my math, it actually worked out really well because it was the most amount of money for the least amount of work. Like I wasn't in ah. hundred hour investment banking hours. I knew that wouldn't, I, I knew I needed balance in my life. So I, I didn't want that kind of lifestyle where I was either constantly traveling with a, a business consulting job or working hundred hour weeks in investment banking. Yeah. I knew I wouldn't be happy with that. I thought I wanted to do equity research is what yeah. I thought I wanted my pathway to be. And the head of the recruiting program at Lehman Brothers had actually been a family friend um, from where I grew up. He had kids that swam. And, and so we had overlapped and he knew me and he's like, that's great. You think you want to do equity research, but I know you and I'm going to put you somewhere where I think you're going to thrive. And he put me on the training desk and immediately I was like a duck in wow. water. I loved it. I mean, I hate to say wow. it. We got to swear all the time and it was, it was yeah, yeah. and it was sort of <laughs> hardcore, but in a, like in a very serious, like in a very like fun, but in right. kind of serious kind of intense kind of way. Very and similar I, to endurance sport. I oh, yeah. really did love it. Um, yeah. I didn't love New York. So after mm -hmm. being in Manhattan for a couple of years, um, I went to a, a softer, gent gentler kind of financial community, and we uh, I had met my husband, and we moved to Boston, uh, which okay. had a very robust financial services community, and I switched from the south side at Lehman Brothers, moved over to the buy side and worked for a mutual fund company in Boston called MFS Investment Management, and I was with them for six years, wow. um, and again, really enjoyed my time there. Yeah. Were you, you training at the same time, or yeah, did you put that on the side? It was, it was on the side. I was running, okay. I was running. Um, so when I retired from swimming, I knew I had to do something to keep up with my eating habits because inside of me, there's a 300 pound girl <laughs> wanting to come out. <laughs> um, so I knew I needed, and, and just part of my lifestyle, I will be active and that's at the back, in the back of my mind day in and day out. Like I want to take care of my body so that when I'm 85 years old, I can still out and still go out and run a mile every day. Like I want to be active for my entire life. It's just part of my DNA. Yeah. Um, so when I retired from swimming, I started running. I found it to be the most versatile way to keep fit because you can go out and run for 20 minutes or you can go out and run for two hours and get a great workout either way. I still swam a bit. Um, when I was in New York, I swam for the New York Athletic Club, more of a social okay. outlet um, than any kind of serious swimming. 
Um, but I was, I was active. So I was running, I'd run maybe one or two marathons a year. I always sort of had a marathon on the horizon, some, some six, eight months in the future, but trained incredibly poorly for them. I would just go out and I, I literally, and this probably wasn't one of the safer things I've ever done, but would go out and run in central park by myself at five o'clock in the morning. Oh morning yeah. Work. Mm. Um, oh. and by, by my estimation, sort of the, the dangerous aspects were passed out in a ditch at that hour. And I did it. I literally only had one sort of scary encounter where I felt unsafe, but for the most part escaped unscathed, but so wow. I literally, my training consisted of, I would run like 40 to 45 minutes in Central Park before work. And then when I got sort of close to a marathon, I would start with like a 10 mile run one weekend and then the next weekend run 12 and the next weekend, yeah. you know, and I would build up a long run, but it was all the same pace. Like I never did oh my gosh. tempo workouts. I just, I had no idea. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. And as a result, between... My retirement from swimming in 1994, and when I started triathlon properly in 2002, I probably ran, I don't know, a dozen marathons, all between 331 and 336. Like oh my gosh. Of my times right. was so crazy impressive, but I could not break 330 to save my life right. until I met Karen Smyers. And yes. when I started working with her, I was like, I'm running this. I want to start training for marathon, but I'm running this marathon in February. She had me on the track. She had me doing tempo workouts. And I went and ran the Mardi Gras marathon in New Orleans and ran yeah. 306. Oh my oh, goodness. Wow. Yeah, Just with a little structure. Like, oh, yeah. Coaching is really, really good. <laughs> yes, huh. yes. Well, and you, you had known that from your swim days, but you just didn't take that into the whole, the running yeah. the marathon, right? It, yeah. It, honestly, it, it, it never really even occurred to me. I knew I had to cover the distance and it, like my nutrition was terrible. Like I would go run the marathon and eat and drink nothing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, to back on the things that I did is, is incredible. It's insane. Wow. Um, yeah. So I, I was active, but I wasn't, I wouldn't say, you know, I thought my marathon running was, you know, kind of serious, but yeah. Uh, it was always a goal to qualify for Boston and I could always kind of do that relatively easily, but yeah, it wasn't like I had goals and aspirations of becoming a professional runner. It was just right. it was a hobby right. that I did because I liked to work out and I liked to have a goal. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I mean, some of our listeners, when you said the whole 331 to 336, some of our listeners are like, their jaws just dropped to you. Like what? She like, no, not much structure, no speed training. I mean, so, I mean, listeners, you can kind of tell the caliber that Didi is at right now. Um, before we transition to our next well, question, and this is- part though, I want to go back to that for one second. Yeah. It was the, uh, through my 21 years of swimming, I had yeah. such a robust aerobic engine. Exactly. And I think that's ultimately why when I came to triathlon, I took to it pretty quickly. And it wasn't because I'm, it's not because I'm talented, but- I have been an, an endurance athlete since I learned to swim when I was three years yeah. old. I mean, I was swimming in the pool like laps from the time I was five and six years old and that yeah. aerobic engine, it doesn't die. Yeah, it's so true. And that's the whole, you know, whether you subscribe to the whole 10,000 hours of practice or not, you know, theory or not. I mean, there's some truth to that for sure. Right. For, and, and there's a lot of takeover and kind of carryover to that too. Wow. It, I mean, that's just, it's, it's incredible. And I, I do want to stop for one second because I work with a whole bunch of high school and collegiate swimmers 
and at nutrition wise. And I just want to, I just want the listeners and I want to know this too. I want to take a glimpse into your past. Do you remember how you ate as a swimmer at Stanford? Like what was going on in the dining hall there? Like what was your nutrition philosophy as a collegiate swimmer? Unfortunately, um, swimming in the generation that I did, yeah, swam very high volumes. So it, it's been interesting because I've I've actually had a conversation with sort of a current swimmer. One of my yeah. teammates from Stanford, her daughter, uh, they live in Colorado, and okay. her daughter had been home for summer and was swimming with their club team. But their club team takes a break in in August. They shut mm-hmm. down end of summer season before they start their fall season. And so her daughter had no place to swim. So she called me. She's like, hey, is it okay if Brooke comes up and and swims a couple of sessions a week with you guys with your squad? And I was like, you know, Lori, I was like, we swim pretty hard, but we're not exactly Stanford material. And she's like, no, 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 it's okay. She's like, my daughter's a sprinter. She really just needs to stay in the pool. Like she'll be happy to do whatever you guys are doing. So she came up to swim with us a few times which was shocking. I was like, okay, I'm sharing a pool with a teammate's daughter. I'm like, it's gotta be <laughs> see myself out the door. Like, <laughs> right. So uncomfortable, but she's, she was lovely. And I picked, was picking her brain a little bit about what it was like to swim at Stanford now. Yeah. And the way they train is so incredibly different. I mean, we were swimming eight to 10,000 yards per session, two yeah. sessions per day, you know, it, it, Sundays were off, but anyway, in that era, unfortunately, and I don't think coaches were poorly intended, but it was definitely a lighter is better mentality. So we were weighed in like cattle three times a week. Mm -hmm. Um, If the weight went up even a couple of tenths of a pound, we literally were put into the quote unquote fat group. And during, oh no, yeah, for sure. We were during dry land where the rest of the team is doing stretch cords and pull-ups and swim bench and, you know, ab stuff. That group is out on the the field right in front of the team running circles around the field. (laughs) Burning calories. Yeah. Burning calories. Right. Because we didn't burn enough calories in the pool. Right. Unfortunately, I loved being in the fat group because I really found I loved to run. I loved to run. So it it was this crazy phenomenon. So I um, was in school with um, Barb Metz at the time, who is now Barb Lundquist, who many people will know is, you know, a athlete in her own right. Absolutely. Barb and I loved to run. So when, when running was part of our program, the rest of our team, of course, it was the last thing we did. So we had done a morning workout, we had done an afternoon workout, and then we'd have to go run after the second session of the day well half the team would run to the dining hall and sort of graze yeah. for half an hour run back through the sprinklers so it looked like they were a little sweaty <laughs> check in with the coach and then go back to the dining hall barb and i would go out and actually run because i found out <laughs> i loved to run wow. um, but it is so in that era it was definitely a you know thinner leaner is better mm. i look at swimmers today and i was like these girls are strong and we yeah. were we were wafy we it's just a very very different physique and, and again not poorly intended i think that's what they thought was best at the time mm-hmm. but it was a difficult environment to manage and hard to keep a healthy attitude about fueling during that time because the pattern was then set up 
how little can I eat and still fuel myself through this workout? So mm. it was it was a minimalist mentality for sure. Like right. dessert with like a chocolate power bar, right? How sad wow. is that? Right. Wow. Like I have dessert and I'm like, I'll have a half a chocolate power bar for dessert. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Um, which is, you know, you look back on it and you think, oh, how sad, how tragic. Um, but that's just, that's what it was at the time when we swam, that's right. what the mentality was. And it, so it was very, very different, but for me, it definitely set up a pattern of how can I fuel this as minimally as possible? Right. Yeah, it is. It's, it's interesting. Cause I, I mean, I will say in my experience that swimming has come a long way. Oh, thankfully, actually most, most sports have thankfully, because they do look at the athlete as strong and, you know, intelligent, powerful, instead of that, that, you know, physique, if you will, because, um, you know, I, I, and again, I will, I will give that, you know, a couple of years ago, obviously, it wasn't that case. Uh, but nowadays, I think it has been changing, you'll still get some old school coaches here and there that kind of have those belief systems. But um, thank, thankfully, you're in a good spot today, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's taken, it's taken an effort. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, like I've come to respect fueling a whole lot more than I think I did as a swimmer. Um, you right. know, as a swimmer, we kind of got away with, we, we ate what we could sort of get away with. Um, totally. Yeah. A lot of mine, there were, there were times like we had nutritionists come in and talk about the importance of, like Barry Sears came and spoke to our- Oh, program. did he really? Yeah. Oh, like that's right, because he started- guy. He right. started with Stanford. I yeah, remember that. Stanford. So the early zone diet and balancing your protein with your carb, with your yeah. healthy fats. And, and that was sort of the last year or two of my collegiate career. And so all of a sudden oh. we're all like measuring, you know, handfuls of hot <laughs> cheese at the, at the <laughs> cafeteria to get our yeah. protein in right. uh, as, as a good protein source. So it was, um, you know, there, there was some of that. Um, but it was definitely carbohydrate driven. Um, you know, carbs were great. Um, and, but towards the end, we started getting into that sort of the zone diet and, and blending mm -hmm. your carbs with your healthy fats and your proteins. Mm -hmm. Uh, Didi, I wanted, I wanted to go back. To, so, cause you mentioned retiring from swimming in 94 and then triathlon officially starting that kind of sport in 2002. So there was an, there were a number of years where you were working and then you were running the whole time. So you were active for sure. But can you share the story of how you officially got into triathlon and what inspired that? Yeah, I was studying for finals during my second year in business school, uh, right before winter break. Uh, so it was first semester finals and I was just burnt out. I was kind of fed up. It was second year. I already had a job lined up for after business school. And I was like, I just don't want to do this anymore. So I was bored. I turned on the TV and I saw the Ironman and it was 96. It was the year that ironically, Karen Smyers came from yep. so far behind. Yep. Um, ran down Paula Newby Frazier, passed her on Hualalai before the right-hand turn onto Ali'i. And, mm -hmm. and as soon as Karen passed her, Paula collapses to the ground and she's like moaning on the ground. I think I'm going to die. And I was like, this is amazing. I want to do this. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to die. I'm like, where do I sign up? <laughs> but I just thought it was, I thought it was incredible. And so I just, the seed was planted. I, I knew I was going to have three months after graduation from Wharton 
before I had to start my job at Lehman and I had no money because I just paid for business school. And so I thought I'm going to sign up for an Ironman and I'm just going to train as hard as I can in that three months to get as fit as I can. And I'm just going to do an Ironman, but it was a one and done. It was a bucket list, like adventure type of thing. I was, I was running cause I had run, I had, you know, I'd run the Philadelphia marathon during my first year of business school. Um, the summer before business school, I had taken a bike trip. I was trying to impress a boy who invited me to ride bikes across the country with him. <laughs> the only bike I owned was my Schwinn from like yeah. school. So I Love bought it. a bike and five days later we flew to Seattle and started riding back. Oh, oh my gosh. Unfortunately, we, we broke up in Montana. We didn't make it very far. <laughs> <laughs> did well, you continue we, on we or did you stop? Yes, 100% we finished the okay. trip. Okay, okay. <laughs> we run separately. So we would ride, you know, a couple of miles apart and just sort of meet up for lunch and make sure the other one wasn't, I don't know, dead. Oh um, my gosh. So we did finish the trip. The relationship was ill-fated, but it was yeah. it introduced me to cycling, which, and, and part of the problem was he just couldn't keep up. Like guys, he just couldn't yeah. keep up. Dead to me now. But anyway, um, <laughs> It did introduce me a little bit to cycling. So when I saw the Ironman, I was like, I know how to ride a bike. Like I can yeah. swim. I've run a marathon. Like, let's just put this all together. Yeah. Um, I bought a program for, it was like, it, keep in mind guys. And this is just how old, I guess we all are. The internet yeah. was starting. Yep, yep. I bought a program online from Troy Jacobson. Again, oh, wow. Troy, yes, yes. I had an online program from Troy Jacobson. Yep that I followed meticulously and I did Vineman. Uh, oh. Vineman, of course, was an independent Ironman. Yep. Ironman wasn't, it was kind of a thing. There were some of the Ironman races, but I had found this race, Vineman. I had a lot of friends still in the Bay Area um, from Stanford. And so I went and stayed with actually a friend of one of my teammates' parents lived not far from the start and finish. Oh. Stayed with them. One of my Stanford teammates crewed me because there were no aid stations. It was a right. self-supported thing. So she literally drove around in the car and like handed me snacks. Oh, I love it. And I did Vine Man. And, but it was a one and done. I finished it. I think I was third. Okay. Um, and it was quite like, I loved it. It was super hard. It was an amazing adventure, but I, you know, I had this wall street job. And so that was it. Like I was just right. going back to running and I was going to work on wall street. And it was a couple of years later. Um, I married Dave and I had gotten married and I just, I kind of said to him, I was like, you know, I want to try the Ironman one more time. I just, I want to train a little harder. I want to be mm -hmm. a little smarter about it. I want to be more dedicated and so I signed up for Ironman Florida and I did not prepare at all oh. any better. If oh. anything, it was worse. Like if anything, I was less prepared, but I managed to go in and I won the overall age group race. I won oh my, my gosh. I won the amateur race and qualified. I didn't even realize, like I qualified for the Ironman world championship. I was like, that's a thing. And I Unbelievable. My hotel room was next to Ben and Dara Furtick. So Ben Furtick oh. <laughs> who would go on to run Ironman yeah. technology. Like he was doing the timing mats for Ironman, oh, the tracking system. And she, Dara was so great because they had, the girls were super young and like toddlers and babies. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. Are they keeping you up at night? They cry. And I'm like, I didn't hear a thing. Wow. But so I, at the end of the race, I went back there. I was like, how did you do? I was like, I think I won my age group. She's like, oh my gosh. She's like, you qualified for the Ironman world championship. I was like, what does that mean? Like, yeah, I what's that? Uh, we had what year? 
we had to change our flight because I was going to miss roll down. And so we had to oh change my our gosh. flight. Oh yeah. And then she's like, we changed our flight. So I would make roll down. We changed it to like a midday flight. And she's like, yeah. but what about awards? She's like, you have to stay for awards. <laughs> Went back into our room, changed our <laughs> flight again. <laughs> we had no idea. And so it was after oh. I had qualified for the Ironman world championship, I decided I need a coach because if that I go yeah. to Hawaii, yeah. In the condition that I'm in, I will die. Like oh. I, I will die. And I was just overwhelmed. Like I was riding a road bike with clip-on aero bars. Yeah. I lived in Boston, so people were like, "Oh, you have to buy this thing called a compu trainer, so you yeah, yeah. more effectively in the winter." <laughs> and I was like, "Gosh, so it's like twelve hundred dollars for a compu trainer. A new bike is going to cost me a few grand." I was yeah. like. I have no idea what I'm coaching. I'm doing. I need. I do. I need to hire a coach. I was so right. by all of these yeah. decisions. Oh my gosh! And a Wall Street connection had been. He didn't know. Somebody had told me. Oh, he knows everything about the Iron Man. He had been out there to watch it. He had never actually <laughs> done it. He would just been out there to watch it. <laughs> so I call him up and I was like, "Dude, what do I do? Like, I'm qualified. I'm going to the Iron Man World Championship next October. Where do I start?" And he's like. Well, I could tell you everything you need to know, right? Wall Street people. Yeah. He's like, I could tell you everything you need to know. But he's like, you live in Boston. He's like, you need to pick up the phone and call Karen Smyers. And I'm like, oh. like, dude. I was like, yeah. I, she was like godlike to me. Like, yeah, like, yeah. It's like calling Bono. I was like, I can't yeah. call Karen Smyers. Kidding me. And so he gave me her email address and I sent her an email and I was so sheepish. And I was like, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed. I've qualified for the Ironman World Championship and I have no idea what I'm doing. I swam for Stanford and I've run a couple marathons. She emailed me right back. She's like, do you want to coach? And I was like, oh my God. Whoa. Erin just said she'd coach me. Yeah. <laughs> what and year so was that? That was 2000. So I did Ironman Florida in 2002. I had qualified for Ironman World Championships 2003. So it was okay. this time of year in 2002. And so I don't think Karen knew what she was getting into, but I just became, I tried to become a Karen Smyers clone. Like whatever she did, I'd go out and ride with her. If she shifted, I shifted. Yeah. If she got down in her bars, I got down in my bars. Like I emulated every single thing I could from Karen. I was just a little like tag along. Oh. <laughs> I made literally an entire professional career from riding Karen's coattails, including sponsorships. Um, you know, Karen introduced me to Saucony. Um, I, I followed Karen around in Kona and, and just everywhere she went and everyone she met, I'm like, hi. <laughs> so she kind of acted as a mentor also, maybe yeah. not on purpose. Huge. But... Just, yeah. I like so much, such an influential part of my oh. career. And not only the contacts that she made and the knowledge that she gave me and the love of sport that she imparted, but just the way I approach it, like we had fun. Um, people think I'm a pretty, like people on my training squad now think I'm pretty intense, but the fact of the matter is like, I, I have fun. Like I joke and laugh and, and, and really find sort of sarcastic humor in everything that we do. And so much of that I learned from Karen. Um, and in very many ways, I look at my career now and think, I hope Karen's proud. Yeah. Oh, that is awesome. Oh my gosh. How did your nutrition, when you connected with Karen, did she bring in more of the nutrition as far as like triathlon support and for your training and so forth? Or was that still like, you're kind of using some of the 
other Barry Sears approach and then just it wasn't yeah it still wasn't awesome if if I'm being fair um not that Karen didn't try to encourage it but Mm -hmm. a lot of the motivation has to come from the athlete and so I mean I think back onto I think my first Ironman world championship my my breakfast I wasn't a big coffee drinker at the time but I kind of wanted that hit of caffeine Mm -hmm. so my breakfast for my first Ironman was a power bar and a diet coke (laughs) wow I love it. A winning combo. <laughs> I mean, like I hate to say it worked, right? Yeah. Like I, yeah, I, yeah. I was on the podium in my age group and oh <laughs> the things you the things you don't know. Oh, um, yeah. my nutrition on the bike. I think I was using like power bar gels and I was using Gatorade. Yeah. I was having some stomach problems. Um and and eventually got, I think, a couple of years into my career. I raced two years as an age grouper before Karen suggested I um race professionally. And I was struggling, particularly in the heat. I would get sort of the water baby, like the calories mm. were coming in, but just not digesting. Yep. And I met Infinite. I met Michael Folan from Infinite mm-hmm. Nutrition and for a long time used Infinite um, as my fuel. Um, I have a bit of a sensitive stomach. So the liquid was was a good solution for me, not doing any kind of solids or gels or anything. I couldn't do bars. I couldn't chew and even the gels got to be a little bit much. So infinite was a very elegant solution for me where I could combine sort of a blended carbohydrate. The sodium was mixed in there. You could add your caffeine or decaffeinated. You could sort of tweak your formula based on where you were racing and the conditions on the day. And it it did work for a while. Were you using a custom blend? Were they customizing it for you? Okay. Yeah. 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 So I used it and I was with them for a number of years and, and it worked well um my outside of sport fueling was still haphazard um I think Mm. a lot of my eating habits from swimming like I would skip meals regularly just because I don't plan and and didn't think it was costly right because I was performing well like right right my first year as a pro I qualified for Kona my second year as a pro I won my first Ironman like I was I wasn't like I was successful, but I look back now and wonder how much better I could have been if my fueling had been better because my fueling, it was dreadful. Thanks to our episode sponsor, Inside Tracker, created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics. I've been using Inside Tracker biomarker testing with all of my athletes to help them manage their health, nutrition, and training adaptations. I use it because Inside Tracker provides interpretation of biomarkers and puts the data into real life action by providing food and meal examples to help improve athletes' health and nutrition. Each athlete has their own dashboard and can use the Inside Tracker resources to build better meals and snacks, manage nutrient deficiencies, and take a proactive approach to optimizing health, nutrition, and training. For a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash ISN podcast. That's insidetracker.com forward slash ISN podcast. I was just going to, I'm so glad you brought that up because I, and I know a lot of our listeners are probably asking or thinking the same thing. If you knew now, if you take on what you know now, I mean, if you were to kind of go back then and implement everything that you're doing on a nutrition standpoint, which we'll get into here in one second, how, like, cause athletes ask me all this, like how much is nutrition really going to matter? I mean, I, you can't quantify this, but I mean, Didi, do you think you could have 
been different, done different, like if you would have had the knowledge now? And, and maybe what would those differences may have been? I think had I fueled better, and this is like, again, I'm I'm overthinking this, right? Like I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm projecting things that may or may not have happened. But I think if I had been smarter about my nutrition, I actually think I would have made the Olympic team in swimming. Oh. I think I might have felt fulfilled as an athlete and never found triathlon, to be honest. I think a lot of what drove me into triathlon was my sort of frustration that I had never made that Olympic team. I had never... Yeah. I had never achieved the goal I really set for myself. I had been gr- hugely successful as a swimmer. I won the Pan American Games. I won the Pan Pacific Games. I was on the U.S. national team, uh, three-time yeah. NCAA champion. Like I had a great deal of success, but I always wa- had wanted to make that Olympic team. And mm-hmm. I wonder if I had been better fueled, if I might have come at least a little bit closer. I was pretty close, but yeah. would I have gotten my hand on the wall and, and been able to call myself an Olympian? I think about that a lot. Um, And looking back now at the start of my triathlon career, I was by all intents and purposes successful. I mean, I was winning Ironmans. I was, I was top 10 at the Ironman world championship, but could I have been even better? A hundred percent. Yeah. No doubt in my mind, the importance of fueling. I drastically underestimated how important fueling is. And I'm still learning up until Ultraman experience last week i'm still learning the power of nutrition and fueling in terms of sports performance yeah well and you i think i read you at at one uh u.s olympic trials for swimming and i think our listeners understand like in swimming literally hundreds of a second can matter if you're going to make the team or not or can give you a medal or not because you were was it fifth i i think i I read i was fifth do you remember how many tenths or hundreds of a second that was off of making the team i think i was like three tenths of a second which is a life in swimming i mean i know that like you say oh like in triathlon that would be like oh my gosh like that is right close but in swimming that's actually a that's that's visible it is difference yeah it is yeah when i I was close yeah three less than half a second between me and being an olympian but yeah that's three people and, you know, more than yep. fingernail. <laughs> yeah. Well, and to your point, I mean, nutrition can, can have a positive impact. I mean, can it, can be the, the, the direct correlation between three tenths of a second? We don't know, but built into the program. Absolutely. Right. Built into the so, program over years and years and years. Yeah. Fueling a hundred percent stronger, yeah. more resilient. Uh, yeah. hundred percent. So with all of your accolades, you've you've added Ultraman. So we've been talking about Ironman a lot. Now we're going to segue into Ultraman because maybe some of our listeners like, listen, I get Ironman and maybe they're Ironman athletes or maybe they're they're trying to do one and they're aspiring to do one. But now this whole Ultraman thing comes up, right? And now we're going to blow our listeners' minds a little <laughs> bit. So tell us like what, one, what is Ultraman? And two, how did you progress from Ironman champion into Ultraman record holder? I mean, everything, like how, what happened there? Um, well, so Ultraman is a three-day, 320-plus mile race. Yeah, depending and I say on plus, the I say yeah. plus because sometimes there's course alterations. It's, it's, um, <laughs> They just sort of get thrown at the last minute. They're like, oh yeah, well, instead of 171 miles, we're just going to make it 174. Don't worry about it. It's just a couple of (laughs) It's kind of that laid back mentality, which I love. Um, Yeah. But (laughs) it's three days, 320 miles. So day one is a 10K swim. So that's 6.2 miles and a 91 mile bike. 
Day two is a 171-ish mile bike. Um, Ultraman Hawaii this year, it ended up being 174 miles because of road closure. So Mm. 171-ish mile bike. And then day two is a double marathon. So 52.4 miles. So it's three days, 320 miles. And I, I happened upon it. My inspiration, my blame for all of this is my very dear friend, Hilary Biscay, uh-huh. uh, who we share a lot of history together. We both um, swam Pac-12 swimming. She's a, like everybody. She's a bit younger than I am, but yeah. um, we came through the professional ranks together. I think we turned pro in the same year. We had similar strengths and weaknesses in, in Ironman racing. So we were always together on race courses. Um, we would swim together at the front of the race. I was a little bit stronger on the bike, but she would always come back after me on the run. I always knew she was coming for me. So we raced together a lot and um, I've been blessed to represent um, her apparel company smash now for a number of years. And so we have a lot of history together and back in gosh, I think she raced Ultraman twice. She won it in 2013. I think it was 2014 or early 15. I was escaping the Boston winter and went to Tucson for a few weeks to train. Uh, I was staying with her and her husband, Mike Twelsick, and Hillary had been invited to a bike shop to give a talk on her Ultraman experience. And they were going to have free snacks. So I decided to come along and sit with them, <laughs> have some snacks. I was like, why not? <laughs> and I sat in the back and I listened to Hillary talk about her Ultraman experience. And the very same, that kind of feeling in my gut that I got when I saw the Iron Man for the first time on TV. Mm-hmm. I had that exact same feeling. And I was like in the back, like eating popcorn, like it was going out of style. I was like, I, I was just, I was enthralled. Like, I was like, oh my God, what's going to happen next? And it's like the best movie ever. Exactly. Uh, it was the best movie ever. And I just said, I was like, I've got to, I've got to do this. Like the same feeling, like I've just got to try this. And wow. then it became a matter of when's it going to fit into my schedule, right? When are you, cause it's a big commitment. And, and mm-hmm. so it took, a lot of courage (laughs) to finally sign up for one. And it took a few years to be like, now I'm ready to tackle this because Ironman racing definitely takes a backseat when you shift to Ultraman. Right. Um, And so finally in 2019, I signed up, you have to qualify. I tried to get straight into the Ultraman world championship by just emailing them and being like, Hey, would you, and they're like, Nope, Nope. You have to qualify, which God bless them and thank them. Thank them. I, I appreciate the fact that they do maintain that standard. They don't care who you are. Yeah. You have to qualify for the world championship. So I signed up for Ultraman Florida at the start of 2020, eked it in right before the pandemic um, and went in um, kind of knowing what to expect, but at the same time, having no idea what I was in for. And I will say a similar theme. I had a nutrition plan. I knew how important fueling was going to be, but I was of the mindset that I could replicate Ironman fueling three days in a row Mm -hmm. and perfectly successful. I was wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Can you talk more about that? What did, what did you learn and what was, what were your main changes that you made thereafter? Well, again, I was using 100% liquid fueling and it was sugary mm. sport drink, um, still blended carbohydrate, but a very high sugar content. Yeah. And mm. about 30 minutes into day two, I took my first sip and it came right back up. 
Um, and and so all of a sudden I was in trouble. I was like, I don't know what to do now. I didn't have plan B, which was my next mistake. Mm -hmm. (laughs) My Mm -hmm. next takeaway when it comes to ultra racing, you have your plan A, but you've got to have plans B, C, D, E, and F, and then you've got to have the kitchen sink. Right. Um, So you've got to have multiple plans, including the kitchen sink. Like what is your disaster scenario? Yeah. Um, and we did not have that at Ultraman Florida. Luckily, one of my crew for Florida was a guy named Jordan Bryden, who is one of my training partners. He had won Ultraman Canada in 2019 and then went on and won Ultraman Worlds in 2019. Mm-hmm. And so he had Ultraman knowledge. So he they immediately beelined to the nearest convenience store and bought the kitchen sink and started wow. throwing it at me yeah. to get my stomach to settle. And wow. somehow- Again, a little bit of luck, a huge aerobic engine and a little bit of luck. And we got my stomach to settle back down. And I mean, again, like I'm going to sound like a, like a bit of a jerk when I say this, I I set the world record for Ultraman. Like I went faster than anybody has ever gone across the Ultraman distance in that race, but made so many mistakes doing it. Um, That's incredible. Yeah, it it really, particularly day three. I mean, without being too crass, um, Ultraman Florida, the second marathon starts at the clay trail in Claremont and I pooped all over it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> God. <laughs> Talk about GI yeah, distress, I right? Yeah. Just and I was like, oh, got to stop again. And yeah. anybody that was around me, it was, it was horrible. Oh, yeah. So oh, no. I did get to the finish line and yes, I set a world record and, and I'm very proud of that accomplishment, but made so many mistakes along the way. And I knew if I was going to go so the Ultraman Worlds in Hawaii, which is a very obviously different environment, different course, different topography. Yep. I needed to get a whole lot smarter about my fueling. I had worked with nutritionists in the past. I've worked with stemming back to my swimming career and Barry Sears and you know yep. the diet and blending your. I've worked with a million nutritionists in my career, and and that probably speaks to how dreadful my nutrition is, they never really stuck. And I picked up bits and pieces Mm. like, oh, you've got to fuel constantly with smaller meals throughout the day and refuel and refuel and and all of these little lessons. But I I was just, I was lazy about it. And because I couldn't get away with it, I got away with it. And it wasn't Mm. until the reality of Ultraman um, through um, um, a friend at UCAN, Mm-hmm. I was introduced to a nutritionist, another one, mm-hmm. yet another mm-hmm. one. Yeah. And I said to him, I was like, dude, your nutritionist, like 147. He's like, and he, said, <laughs> like, he said, he's like, what's wrong with you? Oh, <laughs> right. And it, it is, it's all on me because I didn't, I didn't really take it to heart. I didn't right. adopt it as something that was so incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Something about this nutritionist, his name is Andrew Dole. Something about his personality just kind of clicked with me. Mm. I just, I liked him. He made me laugh. He didn't make it hard. Um, There are a lot of nutritionists that are like, okay, like some of them had like done menu planning for me. So they're like, okay, they took my workout schedule, literally my workout schedule, which I would email them the week before and they would say, okay, so you have a seven o'clock run session at 6.15, you're going to eat this. At 8.02, mm-hmm. when your workout's done, you're going to eat this. And it made it so simple. I didn't have to think. But then mm-hmm. they gave me this menu and they're like, for lunch, you're going to cook. And I was like, eh, stop right there. I'm like, lunch, <laughs> cook? I was like, 
that's not that's not happening immediately that slid off the plate right so um I, i have adopted bits and pieces but andrew made it so easy and so we started super small i was again under fueling in training in you know between me like my meals were under fueled um And so Rome wasn't built in a day. We started small and we started just making really, really small changes. And he would say, do you think you can do this? And I'm like, no. Mm -hmm. And he's like, okay, if you can't do this, let's back it up a few inches. Can you do this? And I was like, I can try that. And and so literally Mm -hmm. inch by inch by inch. And my my caloric intake across Ultraman, and I wasn't even so much aware of it, but one of my crew, Kate Ligler is my strength coach, and I put her in charge of my nutrition. She had a final call with my nutritionist. And again, this plan was built over literally months and months and months and months and seeing what worked and seeing what didn't. One of the key takeaways we learned, um, you cannot replicate Ironman nutrition across three days. So my Ironman nutrition protocol is drastically different than my Ultraman nutrition protocol. Yeah, As it Um, should be for sure. Yeah. In that we included real food. Like we Mm -hmm. had, we knew we had to include real food. And then we really struggled to figure out how to do that. I was making a blend of, and this sounds disgusting and believe me, it kind of was rice, banana, water, and a bit of salt. Oh, that sounds good, actually. Yeah, it was. It, was, uh, it tastes exactly. It just tastes flat. Like it's. Yeah. Like, when I first tried it, I was like, not as disgusting as I thought. And my nutritionist is like, that is not a raving review. Yeah. And literally, when something is not as disgusting as you think, like you have to imagine drinking <laughs> it when it's ninety degrees. I know. Hundred percent humidity. Like if if you're not quite getting it down in your basement on a trainer ride, like you're yeah. never gonna get it down. Like if you're totally. saying it's not dreadful. So we really had to work to find real food sources, and we started um, day one again when the gut is happier and fresher. Uh-huh really pushing the real food Uh, and then even starting day two starting with the real food and then transitioning as the gut fatigues um as your body fatigues sort of morphing over to that iron man fueling which is again Mm -hmm. sports nutrition the drinks and the the, making it simpler as we went to the point where at the end of the double marathon it was whatever I could, was asking for and could get down. And by that point, it was, again, not something, and I, my nutritionist fought me on this, um, the Mexican Coke. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it, Coke, the evil, the evil of all yeah. nutritionists. But it, again, it just, the, the, the real sugar kind of goes right in. And it literally, it was the last eight miles was, was on Mexican yeah. Coke. We started with real food. And got simpler and simpler and simpler. Yeah. But my caloric intake, I was even shocked when I looked back at the amount that I was able to take in and how happy my stomach was. Yeah. Um, what, so- what was it? Do you have those numbers? Uh, I do. Um, where is my phone? Uh, like I was upwards. I was over, um, I was 75 to almost, I think my biggest hour was over a hundred grams on the bike. My lowest okay. hour was 75. 
Um, And even on the run, I was hovering in and around 70. And that was what was surprising to me because usually on the run, I'm much lower than that. Mm -hmm. And those numbers may seem staggeringly low, but as a chronic underfueler, to do that three consecutive days was a huge win. And I think a big part of that also, um, our our plan didn't end when I finished each day. It continued. Mm. So I had an early plan Mm -hmm. after I had finished yeah. Um, because you're basically, you're not replacing what you're burning, right? You just yeah. right. You can't. Um, and so starting with the time I finished, we had a protocol of each hour, um, what I needed to get in to, to refuel the tank for the next day. Yeah. Did you, let me back up real quick, Didi. So 70, 70, 75 grams, 70 grams you were referring, is that carbohydrate or total food, carb, protein, and fat? Cause you said you're also doing food. Like real. Yeah, food. that is that was carbohydrate. Yeah. Carbohydrate. Okay. Just so our listeners understand that that quantity. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that's uh yeah, I mean that I mean that's kind of in the kind of maybe probably what we would expect. But as our listeners know too, it kind of depends on what your daily nutrition is and how that supports your your fueling. I did want to stop real quick because you mentioned you mentioned it just briefly, but you can. You had a friend at UCAN. Mm-hmm. Are you using UCAN? Like, can you tell us the story behind UCAN? And did you make that switch? Have you included that in your in your yeah, planning? Hundred percent. So okay. yeah, my friend at UCAN is Matt Bach. He's actually no longer there. He's still in the yeah. triathlon world. But I had mentioned to him after Ultraman Florida, I realized that the sugary sport drinks weren't working. Too many pit stops on the clay trail. (laughs) (laughs) Too much litter. I I had a squad mate who was using UCAN. So I trained with Tim O'Donnell and he had been using for quite a while. And so I reached out to UCAN and had a great conversation with Matt. Yeah. And he agreed to send some product for me to try. Um, And then when I sort of explained to him, I was like, okay, now can I do Ultraman? Like three days of Ultraman on UCAN? He's like, Dee Dee. He was kind. He did not go so far as to say you bleeping idiot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he because you were in- trying to find that simple solution, right? Yeah, he, yeah. I know yeah. the simpler the better for me, right? Yeah, but yeah. You can be too simple. So, um, right. you can absolutely was the was the the base. I started every day. I had you can for breakfast. I had uh, okay. I had two scoops of you can plus a hydrate for breakfast. And the the beauty yeah. about you can because it's so slow burning um it just sits there in the background right and as i got deeper into the race we were layering on top of that as you can advocates i mean they they will agree that depending on the effort you might need a faster burning carb on top of the you can absolutely you can keeps working there in the background and sort of gives you that resilience Mm -hmm. um so that if you do dip below your threshold the you can is sort of there to sort of stop the bonk, so to speak. Like it's yeah, they're uh, supporting you. Um it, it's sort of the bed frame to the to the mattress uh-huh. on top. And and so it was the the structure that we built again on top of for the entire nice. thing. And then the recovery nice. started with the you can energy and protein yeah. um, at the conclusion. Like as soon as I crossed the finish line, I had a shaker bottle, you can energy and protein plus a little extra protein in there nice. to the recovery process, but then also real food on top of right. that store the glycogen stores, um, a bagel with some nut butter. So again, mm-hmm. carbs, healthy fats, et yeah. cetera, rebuilding yeah. the stores after the event was over each day. 
Did you what? use their new edge or their bars at all during? Uh, I didn't curious. use the bars. Chewing okay. for me is not a thing when I'm training. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I can't mm -hmm. chew. Um, the edge gels. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I was, yeah, I was wondering what other whole foods you did use, like on the bike or when you, in between swim and bike or things, things along those lines, what, yeah. uh, what came to be a so, favorite or a good, good go-to? Yeah. In between swim and bike, again, we had a very short amount of time because I was in and out of transition as, as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. And we knew I would be behind the logistics of the swim. I was fueling every 15 minutes. Um, but we knew I would be behind and particularly given the fact it was a wetsuit swim, I elected mm -hmm. to go with a sleeveless wetsuit to keep my core body temperature down. But my electrolyte, despite the fact I had, you can hydrate and I went through an entire bottle of it, but still it's three hours in the water. Yeah. Um, I actually downed a bottle of, you can hydrate in transition, um, to, again, we didn't know how my stomach would be. So we wanted to be careful with calories, but wanted to get some electrolyte in immediately. So, um, as my crew was literally, they were on me, like ants on a crumb, like someone was stripping <laughs> with the helmet on and yeah. pinning a bib number on the back and someone's feeding me a bottle. And it literally was like a conveyor belt of, of the new <laughs> transition. Um, but I stuck just to electrolyte in transition. And then as soon as I got on the bike started, with the fueling, um, real food sources. It doesn't sound glamorous, um, but it worked like a champ for me. And again, I don't advocate this. You've got to find your own path and what works for you. And this was tested again and again and again. We decided the rice, banana, salt mix mm -hmm. wasn't going to cut it, but um, I have gone full circle and am back on organic um, Gerber baby food. Oh, no kidding. Oh, wow. Yeah, the baby food pouches. Yeah. Oh, I love away, it. Again, staying away from the vegetables, right? So yep. we did banana and yep. there's a banana blueberry oat. Um, so we stayed away from things with any kind of vegetable or fiber in them. Again, the concern was the fructose. There is a bit of fructose because of right. the um, but it wasn't drastically different than like a gel in sports nutrition. And so, um, yeah, the baby food and then, um, bread, honestly, yeah. um, because they were yeah. easy, like to mush down the King's Hawaii. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. And as soon as, as soon as you sort of take a bite and, and sip on water or even, um, the, you can't hydrate as soon yeah. as it is mixed with those, they melt. And so yeah. it was easy yeah. to get them down. I didn't have to chew um so those were and, and i mean then there were some randos in there um I, i'm not proud to admit but i'm 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 a fan of the pop tart um, oh yeah oh my god that was here. so important in my early endurance career important meaning yeah. kind yeah. of stupid because i didn't know why but you know <laughs> the, the, the frosted strawberry pop tarts oh yes. Down the hatch. Yeah. yes um we had to be careful because of the fat content and and yeah. there were no pop tarts on run day zero yeah. pop tarts on run day yeah um again run day was more iron man specific in terms yeah. of like the gels the liquids yeah. um, uh, the electrolytes we focused a lot on not taking a lot of some water, but mostly water was going over my head as opposed yeah. to hatch. Mm -hmm. um, we wanted to make sure that any liquid that was going in was doing something either right. in terms Functional. of calories or in terms of electrolytes. So yeah. Um, yeah. And then, you know, the, the magic Coke at the end. Yeah. I, I do have to just, you know, I'm sorry. I just okay. have to put this in because yeah. you mentioned, you mentioned baby food. 
and I'm, I'm a father, I've got three kiddos. And I remember when they were young, no, no kidding. I, I remember this vividly. They're sitting in their high chair. I'm feeding them baby food. And I don't know if it was Gerber or something else, who knows, right? But I'm feeding and I'm looking at it as I'm feeding them. I'm like, you know what? If I could just package this in a gel pack, right? Which now we know pretty much people have done, right? I'm like, man, I do that and put a little salt in there. I would have literally, I could have millions of dollars right now. Yep. But I never did that. And now we're just talking about baby food. <laughs> no. And honestly, the big challenge with the baby food is that they are baby proof. And yeah, totally. They are not really easy to open. They're not at all. That's a good point. Yeah. I was like, I was out on rides by myself. I was like, your hands are in your bars and you're trying to twist. And I was literally, I had to stop to open the baby food. I was like, this stuff is like Fort Knox. Can't get into it. Oh my gosh. That's yeah. where the crew came in because they oh. would open it for me. And all I had yeah. to do was down hatch so easily. And it yeah. was just such a, for me, it was a, a simple solution. I will never use it in Ironman racing. Yeah. I, I make sense. Food because the, uh, the level is just slightly different. Honestly, yeah. on the bike, I was not far off my Ironman output. Wow. Um, which was interesting running. I was obviously considerably slower, but on the bike, I was not dreadfully under my Ironman yeah. powers. Um, again, I think, and I was surprised by that, but again, I think I'm finally starting to figure out how to fuel this. It's taken a while, mm -hmm. uh, but, but I am really starting to figure out and put a lot more thought and care into fueling and it's magical. Nice. Are there other and if it's hush hush, like in NDD's secret weapon category, we don't have to say it out loud, but I was curious about other ergogenic aids you might've used either in training or in between the days, uh, aside from the caffeine that was in the Mexican Coke, did you use any other supplements or anything there that you could say or? Um, we used caffeine. Um, mm -hmm. we, we did use some caffeinated products, um, but that, that was it. Yeah. Did okay. you, so, so you trained with TO and we had TO on, on our podcast and we were chatting a lot about uh, exogenous ketones, uh, Delta G we've interviewed, um, professor Kiernan from Delta G Brian McMahon. Have you ever used exogenous ketones yet? I have not. Uh, okay. I, it's funny. I talked to Tim and Rennie about it a little bit. Rennie was a, yeah. a big advocate. She's like, Didi, she's like, you have got to, um, and I think I had, I mentioned it to Andrew, um, at one point. And as I said, Rome wasn't built in a day and we had our hands full, just trying to right. absolutely fueling. Um, so that it's, it's a path we haven't gone down yet, but there's still time. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. I love it. I love it. Well, and there is, I mean, it, like you said, I mean, endurance is a journey, right? You don't figure out things. Even if you might sign up for a race this year, you're not going to figure things out for this year, for that one particular race. It's always, always, always a journey yeah. for sure. And that's what yeah. I love about it. I'm still learning. I mean, I I've been around the sport forever and I'm still learning. Yeah. Can we, can we kind of, you know, keep in the nutritional, you know, kind of in there, but you know, we are all aging. You've been super pop, um, super, uh, just not only popular, but, but successful in the sports of swimming and running and triathlon as we are all kind of the same age here and we won't divulge what that is, have you changed your training, maybe your strength, your rehab, prehab at all to kind of be in line with your physical goals and your physical training? Yeah. So not dissimilar to, um, my intensified focus on fueling and nutrition, 
I've had to adopt that same focus in pretty much every aspect of my training. I think the assumption is that as we get older, um, I've heard a lot of people say, oh, I need to take more recovery days in between my harder efforts right. and, and I just need to back it down on certain days and I can't do as many intense days. For me, that's actually not the case. I have chosen a slightly different path where I think I am training absolutely as hard as I ever have. The intensity mm. level is absolutely what it has been, if not more, the volumes, if not more, particularly mm. for old man. Yeah. Um, which means I've had to up my game in every other aspect. Nutrition, uh, again, spending the time, the prehab, the rehab, it takes me 20 to 30 minutes to get out the door for a run Yeah, uh, because I have to I feel go the same way. This cycle of things to, to ensure I'm asking a tremendous amount from my, my body, which is not as young as it used to be. And if I want it to show up, I've got to treat it with that care and respect. And so, um, yes, prehab, rehab, mobility, um, I am in the gym. My strength coach is as important to me as my triathlon coach. Um, and, and, and I will say at 52 years old, she has me the strongest version of myself that I've ever been. I'm PRing heavy lifts in the gym, um, weeks before Ultraman. That is awesome. Uh, and, and it is so important, particularly for aging women, I think, to pick up heavy things. I will say, and I, I give this with a warning, do not go in and try to deadlift um, twice your body weight without having, number one, prepped yourself for it. Make sure you're moving well. Do it under the guidance of an experienced strength coach. Mm -hmm. I think if you're going to lift heavy weights, you have to do it with help and support. I don't think you can do that alone. Um, yeah. because you will get injured. Um, and, and, but I think the gym work is a critical part, um, for the aging athlete as is the mobility and the, I see, and people are surprised by this. I see a PT proactively. Mm. So I have a standing appointment with a PT just to ward off things. Like we'll yeah. do screen what's not moving well this week. And then we'll totally. talk about that and focus on it. And so that I don't end up in the MRI, I can ward that off um, and we can catch it before it happens. So those are some of the changes that, that I've made. I sleep a ridiculous amount. I feel oh, yeah. truly badly for my husband because we finish dinner and we'll watch a bit of TV and I'll look at yeah. him at 45 and he's like, oh, for the love of God, just go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> how many hours do you put in uh i'll sleep like at minimum nine hours uh, wow, like, times, like nine to, to, to ten okay um, yeah and and i for the most part do sleep well like i still don't have i know as as you get older sort of disturbed sleep is is yeah. part and parcel i i think right. it's difficult to find good sleep but thankfully i still do sleep well i will take melatonin yeah. Um, okay. every once in a while, um, like if I wake up in the middle of the night and I feel like I'm a bit restless, I'll take some melatonin, yeah. um, to help with that because sleep is so important yeah. Yeah, um, for sure. where I'm recovering and, and, and regenerating and getting ready to do it again the next day. I mean, yeah. the challenge is backing up the training day in and day out. And so rather than spacing out my harder efforts, I'm, I'm continuing to, to turn in the harder efforts, but doing everything else to support, um, that yeah. attempt. 
It's so important. And I just want to highlight, you know, you mentioned kind of the mobility aspect of it. And, you know, we are all of the same age, but I just remember um, hearing and kind of reading an article for or about Ben Canute, and he's, you know, Olympian and um, started short course try moving into long, long course. And, you know, he, he did very well um, podium did at Ironman Arizona, his first, his first long course. And they highlighted his mobility, his prehab routine. And it is, and, you know, he's what, 20 years younger than us at least. Right. <laughs> so it just, it just goes to show that we shouldn't just focus on mobility and strength as we get older, but we should, I mean, these days, I just feel like it's being inputted into much younger athletes, which is fantastic. Hopefully they don't, uh, they're not as reactive as we have been in our careers, right? Um, with saying, oh, I guess now was the time to do it. So I applaud you for that for sure. And, and it sounds like it sounds like it's holding what I call structural integrity, like it's holding your body really well together. You're taking that, you know, year after year. Are you do you have plans for for you know the year coming up for, in terms of races yet? Or do you have a race schedule? I don't have a race schedule, but I, I, okay. I can confirm that I am racing. I mean there was a there okay. were there was a lot of thought given to you know, I'm 52 for the first time in my life. I just became a world champion. Like let's mic yeah. drop, like let's yeah. mic drop. On totally mic you know? drop. Like, who <laughs> so Phoebe, we don't often get to choose how we go out in our career. Usually it just, it happens like, and, right. it, and it's not glamorous. And oftentimes it's not happy. Why not make it happy? I'm a world champion. Mic drop. Yes. I'm out. Like it, yes. would, it would be so, um, it would be sort of a fairy tale. Right. But I gave some thought, like, once you're done, you're done. Um, And I have other goals. And and so I I think those goals, we're doing some, I I won't say what, but we're doing some different things that actually sort of sparked my interest in saying, this year could be different. Um, We're doing some new things. Uh, My coach, Julie Dibbins, um, we had a a conversation. And again, I was keeping my eyes on the prize for for Ultraman and didn't want to think beyond that because the burden of making that decision in the context of preparing for Ultraman just felt like too much. But we did have a conversation where she sort of mentioned some of the the new things that we're going to be doing in 2023. Mm. And I just, again, my gut tells me every time and I just, yeah. and I was like, I'm in. And All we right. about it more than that, but I I'm committed to 2023. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It is. We are so excited right yeah, now just to see what happens. Hard yeah. to see you stopping, Didi. And um, you're such an inspiration for all athletes um, alike, but but particularly for us female masters athletes. It's so cool to watch everything you've been able to accomplish and and just follow you along. So yeah, it'll be super exciting to see what's what's next for you. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to mention or or add before we move to the final segment? Gosh, or- no, we've covered so much. I mean, it's been so fun and we could probably talk for hours on end, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, because we've all been around for hours on end. But- I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> the stories we could tell from the good old days. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Well, I have cool. I have followed your career like I've told you, and I learned more in this session than I, I think I would ever yeah. glean from reading. Or like it's just amazing me amazes me how much more or just by having a simple discussion how much you learn about someone. Just fascinating, fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate oh, yeah. it. Well, we're going to finish with some what we call high five questions. So we're going to give each other high fives, and these are just fun, lighthearted questions where you know just kind of give 
both us and our listeners kind of a, a glimpse a little bit more into DD more on the personal side of things. And, and I was going to say the fun loving side, but you are so fun loving. It's not even, it's not even funny how fun loving you are, but <laughs> these are just easy ones, kind of fast, um, you know, rapid, not rapid, too rapid fire, but just some, some fun questions if you don't mind us starting. Sure. Okay. Number one, what is your typical morning routine? If there is a typical one. Uh, about 15 minutes of news, walk the dogs, coffee. Okay. Oh, in that order. In that order. Dogs won't wait. Dogs won't wait for coffee. Yeah. We need the the 15 minutes to wake up and actually process the day (laughs) and what body parts aren't quite right today. So we need the 15 minutes before we make ourselves upright, then the dogs, then coffee. (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) Number two, uh, Didi, what's been your favorite location you've traveled to for a race? Oh gosh, I know, there that's... have been so many, but I would say the most beautiful place I have been to as a triathlete, um, Bariloche, uh, in, oh. uh, Argentina. Oh, wow. It's near Patagonia. And there was a 70.3 there for a time and just such a, such a surprise. I was mm-hmm. not expecting what we got in Bariloche and it was it was incredible. And it was just, it ended up being a really fun race with a cool group of out like pros that race there. And yeah. we all kind of bonded and it was such a unique environment and in a stunningly beautiful place. Wow. I'm going to have to put that on the list. Maybe, maybe we can have a, uh, an episode down there, Dina. Someday. Oh, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Didi, number three, uh, you, we all live in Colorado. Uh, what is your favorite season and why? Uh, I love the fall. Um, yeah. I, and I think it's just the weather pattern. I think it's the mm. the cool nights and the warm days. Um, I've always been a fan of, of September, October. It's just my favorite time of year in general. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, I think the fall it's not, okay. I'm, I have to say it's a little bit of a letdown as compared to autumn on the east coast oh totally the yeah. colors we get in new england like there's nothing like it oh. and so oh. it's a it's 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 a little bit less special here in colorado yeah. but i think i just love the weather pattern the cool nights and the warm days it's my favorite nice yeah. nice all right dd number four what's a favorite hobby that you have that doesn't involve athletics or sport uh, my dogs. I am, I've always been an animal lover, particularly dogs. And I have been um, part of a, a couple, uh, we don't have children. Um, so our bond with our Labradors is sort of next level. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love <laughs> so it. And you have two of them, them, correct? Hiking, swimming, uh, yeah. just, oh. just anything about them. Their, their personalities, yeah. I just adore. And yeah, I'm a, I'm a dog less. So anything to do with my, my little, my little labs. I yeah. love it. Real, real quick, how old are they, and what are their names? Uh, Piper is nine, and Charlie is five. And Piper okay. is our sort of smart, quiet, stoic one, and yeah. Charlie is well, she's dumb as a stump, but she is adorable. <laughs> she's very, cute. she's a cute dumb one. <laughs> we do need those in our life, don't we? Yes, yes. yeah, the cute dumb ones. <laughs> the cute dumb ones. <laughs> Okay. Once I stop laughing here, Uh, last question here, and this is just to set you up. This is typically the one that our guests have a little bit of a challenge with, and Uh you'll see why here in a second. If you only had one piece of advice, and this is why it's a challenge, one piece of advice to give to all athletes, what would it be? Um, I know, right? Follow your your gut. Oh, okay. 
I mean, I've been incredibly well coached throughout my career. I've had some really special relationship and have had the privilege of having some remarkable coaches, um, but always trust your gut. Nice. And, and, and that's like with where to race with, you know, what to do with the advice your coach gives you. I, I just think trust your gut. Yeah. yeah with, I mean, that could kind of follow through with just about everything in life yeah. for the most part. Yeah. Trust your gut. Yeah. 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 I mean, you probably trusted it when you were breaking up with your boyfriend in Montana. (laughs) (laughs) And quitting my really well-paying Wall Street job. (laughs) That's that's very true. Also a good point. Well said. said. That was a good check. Yeah. That was a good check. More so than the boyfriend, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully you're, you're living, living, living better now. And you're like, you know, that that was a good, a good move for sure. Well, Didi, thank you so much for taking this time. I, like I said, I learned a lot. Yeah. Um, it, it just, it's always great to hear from athletes like you as a sport dietitian, because there's so many additional things we learn uh, as in the real life of application of nutrition. So we definitely appreciated that and loved how you kind of gave us the, from swimmer to marathon runner, to professional triathlete, to record holder. I mean, you name it, but it's, you know, for me, and I'll speak for Dina too, it's just fascinating to hear about the story, but also how your nutrition has changed throughout your athletic career, but also as we all are on on this aging continuum. So we so appreciate the time. We'll put all of our show notes. We'll put all the information linked to anything that you want us to, including your website and anything else we can in those show notes. So listeners, you can find out more about Didi and see what she's going to be up to uh, in the upcoming, let's just say upcoming years, because I'm pretty sure it's yeah. going to be years here. <laughs> don't, don't go crazy, Bob. Don't go crazy. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Let me, I'll talk to Julie on the side, right? Yeah. <laughs> but thank you again. And, and listeners, thank you for for tuning in we so appreciate your time and listening to Dee's story and, and thank you for joining us today we'll catch you on the next episode we hope you enjoyed our interview with Dee Dee Griesbauer I know I got a lot out of it it was so fun to hear more about her journey and certainly can't wait to follow her for upcoming years and see what all she has up her sleeves Stay tuned for next week's episode. We've got our final episode of the year. Bob and I are doing a top 10 of sorts for 2022. Things that we found in our professional work related to nutrition that were hot topics. So it's our uh, end of year top 10. Hope you'll catch us for that episode. Hey, if you'd like to support our podcast and help us continue to grow, please consider making a donation over on our website, insidesportsnutrition.com support. That helps us with our production costs and getting other nutrition guests on who are experts in the field, athlete interviews, and really continuing with all of the updates that we're aiming to provide you for all things sports nutrition related. Don't forget, if you have a sports nutrition question, drop us an email over at hello at insidesportsnutrition.com. Let us know your question, where you're tuning in from, and your name. We'll certainly be queuing up here for another Ask Us Anything episode for the new year ahead. And lastly, if you'd like some more info on our nutrition coaching and physiological testing that we offer, check out energyperformance.com, E-N-R-G performance.com to find Bob's services 
or head over to nutritionmechanic.com and you can take a peek at the services we offer there. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely those of the hosts and the guests involved and do not represent a replacement for medical consultation with your doctor. The information and opinions provided here are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease or medical condition. This podcast is for information, education, and entertainment purposes only. Thank you.